There's absolutely nothing we can do in our own power to make up for every sin we've committed and will ever commit. Our sins are too great to even attempt it. These sins, all piled together, deserve the punishment of death. Pastor Daniel reminds us today that God, in His immense love and mercy, provided His Son as the stand-in for our punishment. Jesus died in our place, and by accepting this, we're no longer guilty of our sins. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with part two of his message, Offerings Revisited. Next in verse 11, we get the monthly offerings. Look what it says. At the beginning of your months, you shall present a burnt offering to the Lord, two young bulls, one ram, and seven lambs in their first year without blemish, three-tenths of an ephah of flour as a grain offering mixed with oil. For each bull, two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour as a grain offering mixed with oil for the one ram, and one-tenth of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering for each lamb as a burnt offering of sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord. Their drink offering shall be one half a hand of wine for a bull, one-third of a hand for a ram, and one-fourth of a hand for a lamb. This is the burnt offering for each month throughout the month of the year. Also, one kid of the goats as a sin offering to the Lord shall be ordered besides the regular burnt offerings and its drink offerings. So, At the beginning of every new month, there is all these new sacrifices. And again, we get two bulls, one ram, seven lambs in their first year without blemish. Now notice that again, all the offerings, no matter what the species are, is what? Young and without blemish. Why? Because you give your best to the Lord. That's what it's always reminded. And listen, we got to remind ourselves of that, don't we? Because what, you know, what people do oftentimes are like, man, I want to bless the church, so I'm going to give you my washer and dryer, you know? Nothing more scary when a pastor, when someone says they want to give the church a washer and a dryer. Because you know what they end up giving? They give you like a washer and dryer from like the 60s. And that thing hasn't worked. I just want to get out of their garage and I can give it to the church. Because that really blesses God. And they really needed like an ancient washer and dryer that hasn't worked since the Reagan era. Right? But we do that stuff. Like, man, we're going to bless the Lord with this. And it's like, no, that's not, just go bring it to the recycling place. You know, give it to a charity that can go and they can sell the metal and they can get some money. Like, the Lord doesn't want that. But we do that kind of stuff, right? We think, man, yeah, I'm going to bless God. And we're really just giving them the junk. And we do that with our own lives. See, brothers and listen, you need to prioritize giving God your best. It's like you have to be intentional about it. You have to decide that you're going to design your life. I'm going to give the first fruits of all my life to God. I'm going to give 
when I'm the most vibrant, that's the time to serve the Lord. See, what we do is we give all of our energy to everything else, and we're like, whatever I got left, I'll give to God, right? We do it with our finances. We do it with our time. We do it with our talent. You do it with your calendar. You fill the whole thing up. Like, I got any time left, I'm going to spend some time worshiping the Lord. And you know what happens. You never get the time, right? Or you say, I'll do it later, right? You know what happens when you're going to serve the Lord later? You're always waiting to serve the Lord later. That's how you have to prioritize that. You give him your best. Why? Because everything that we have comes from him and he deserves our best. And you know what happens when you start giving God your best? It completely changes the way you look at everything that you do have. Because all of a sudden you take the first fruits of the entirety of your life and you give it to the Lord and it changes the way you view everything else. You start to say, oh, because I gave God the first fruits of my talents, the first fruits of my energy, now all of a sudden you look at all of your talents and you're like, okay, so God got it. And now, so how does God want me to use all the rest of it? Oh, I could do this, I could do this, I could do this. My, I gave God the first fruits of my energy, right? Okay, so boom. And you're like, well, how do I want to spend the rest of my energy? Well, because I gave it God. God, how do you want me to do it? And God's like, well, I want you to do this, this, and this. And you end up completely reprioritizing your life. And I love this because not only is there these daily ones and there's these special Sabbath ones every week, now we have these monthly offerings. And this was like, this is a throwdown. I mean, you see all the offerings in each one, the burn offering, so the animals with the grain offering, with the oil, with the drink offering. If you want to read more about all those, Leviticus 1 to 7, we went through all of them in a series called Sacrifice. We went through all these different offerings, what they were, how they worked, why they're there. But again, this is like, you're giving God a complete meal, right? You got your protein, you got your starch, you got your good fat, and you got your drink. It's like a good dinner, right? And literally, that's the idea of it. You're giving God the complete, the whole spectrum of the food and the things that sustain you. And every month, it's a big part, man. It's a brand new month, God. We got 30 days ahead of us. We thank you for the past. We're excited about the future. So the monthly offerings. Now, in verse 16, we start getting into the special festival offering. So it really runs from 16 all the way through the end of chapter 29. And at the rate that I'm going, I'm pretty sure I'm not going to make it all the way through 29, but I'm going to try. So look what it says. The Passover offerings, verse 16 of Numbers chapter 28. On the 14th day of the first month is Passover of the Lord. And on the 15th day of this month is the feast of unleavened bread. It shall be eaten for seven days. And on the first day, you shall have a holy convocation and you shall do no customary work. And you shall present an offering made by fire as a burnt offering to the Lord. Two young bulls, one ram and seven lambs in their first year. Be sure that they are without blemish. Their grain offering shall be of Fine flour mixed with oil, three-tenths of an ephah you shall offer for a bull, and two-tenths for a ram you shall offer one-tenth of an ephah for each of the seven lambs, and also one goat as a sin offering to make atonement for you. You shall offer these besides the burnt offerings of the morning, which is the regular burnt offering. Verse 24, in this manner you shall offer the food of the offering made by fire, daily for seven days as a sweet aroma to the Lord. It shall be offered beside the regular burnt offering and its drink offering. And on the seventh day, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work. Now, if you want to read this, we saw it in Exodus chapter 12, verses 14 to 20. Again, in Leviticus 23, verses 4 to 8. And we're going to see it 
again in Deuteronomy 16, verses 1 to 8. So we've seen it in Exodus 12. We've seen it in Leviticus 23 here, and we're going to see it again in Deuteronomy chapter 16. Now, the feast of Passover is married together with the feast of unleavened bread. So the Passover was a one-day festival, and then the next day began a week-long feast of unleavened bread. All of this is completely tied to the deliverance of God of the children of Israel from Egypt at the Passover. Remember the 10th plague, the death of the firstborn, the final plague. Now, people always want to say, I can't believe God would do that to those poor Egyptians. Listen, God didn't want to do that. If Pharaoh would have let the people go, none of this stuff would have happened. Because disobedience brings problems. If, if when Moses said, listen, you got these people enslaved, they shouldn't be here. You need to let them go. Pharaoh said, you know what? It's probably not cool that I have people enslaved. It's not the best thing, not the highest good. I'll let them go. They would, none of this would have happened, but he wouldn't listen. And every plague got worse and worse and worse. And every time he's like, I've made a mistake. I've gone against God. Moses, please pray for me. And every time Moses prayed for him and it stopped. So not, this didn't have to happen. Pharaoh brought it on himself, right? He should have just listened. So God told the children of Israel, listen, the worst plague is going to come, and this is going to be the end of this, because after this, you're going to leave Egypt. You're going. But he said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to choose a lamb, a perfect lamb. I want you to make sure it's perfect. They chose him on the 10th day, sacrificed him on the 14th day to make sure it was a perfect lamb. They slaughtered the lamb. They took the blood of the lamb, and they placed it on the doorpost of the house. And when the angel of death, which is a total, didn't you wish your name, your parents named you angel of death? That'd be a super cool, not really a cool name, but it would be kind of cool. You know what I mean? It's like an angel. Anyway, maybe not, but it, I don't know. Daniel's boring. Angel of death sounds a little bit cooler, you know? He's calling me A-O-D. Anyway, you know what I mean? It's like when the angel of death came through, if there was the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, the angel of death passed over. Any house that didn't have the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, the angel of death went in and the firstborn was killed. So either God accepted the blood of the sacrificial lamb or he took the blood of the firstborn son now you guys know jesus is the fulfillment of passover the lord's table was literally jesus taking the passover seder and saying look this is all about me it's all about me it all points to me why because death happens to every sinner. But for those who receive the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, on the doorpost of their house, their house of life, their own temple, when the blood of Jesus is placed on your life, God will either require the just punishment for our mistakes on ourselves, or he accepts Jesus as our substitute if we believe in Jesus. That's the gospel. The gospel is that the blood of Jesus will cleanse a person from all unrighteousness. Not because it says that we're not unrighteous, but because he died to pay the price. And the reason people don't believe it, I believe maybe some of you here right now, you're like, I don't believe that. It's not because you don't know that you don't make mistakes. You know that. What you don't realize is that God is holy. God doesn't make mistakes. And anytime somebody who doesn't do anything wrong is in relationship with someone who does a lot of things wrong, you know what happens? A breaking of relationship. And we all understand that. When somebody wrongs you, that wrong has to be made right, doesn't it? If something goes wrong in a relationship, there's a breaking of relationship. And in order for a broken relationship to be brought back together again, somebody has to pay for that. I always use the same example. It's a great example because it, it puts the cookies on the bottom shelf. Imagine you have me over your house for dinner, right? 
Because you know Fusco likes to eat, and you're like, hey, man, I can cook, so I'm going to have you over. Now, imagine I come over to your house for dinner, and I'm a terrible driver. I'm not really a terrible driver. Well, maybe I am. Who knows? That's in the eye of the beholder. But imagine I run over your mailbox. Because I ate so much. I mean, I was just so full, and I just wasn't paying attention. I run over your mailbox, right? Now, you got a down mailbox. And I come to you, I'm like, so sorry, because I wouldn't run over your mailbox and not tell you. I'd come and be like, hey, sorry. Ran over your mailbox. So you got a busted mailbox, right? I broke something. Now, either way, you need to get mail, and the mail carrier is not going to deliver your mail to you without a mailbox, right? So I could say, well, listen, I'm so sorry. Can I fix the mailbox? And you might say, you know, Pastor Daniel, because you drive so lousy. Yeah, you better. And you would, that would be an okay thing, right? So I have to go buy a mailbox. I have to go buy some concrete and get the whole thing up, however it works, and I have to pay to fix it, right? Or you could say, you know, Pastor Daniel, I really love you, and you really can't drive. I really don't want you to fix my mailbox either. I don't know what you're going to do to that thing. So, you know what? Don't worry about it, bro. I'm going to fix it myself. And I say, man, praise God. I'm a terrible fixer, mailboxer guy anyway. I do this all the time, right? And that happens because something broke, somebody has to pay in order to fix it. It doesn't get fixed without somebody doing something. Now think about it. The problem with my analogy is that either way it gets fixed. But when you push the analogy to an imperfect person with a perfect God... We've done so many things wrong, we just can't fix all the busted mailboxes. It's all busted. And so the amount that I would need to do to try and fix everything, it's impossible. And so God's like, look, you can't fix all those mailboxes. I mean, you, don't, every, you broke everything. Like, not only did you run over the mailbox, you hit the house, you tear up the lawn, I mean, you pulled up the concrete. I mean, you just destroyed my life. And God says, you can't fix this, so I'm going to fix it for you. I'm going to fix it for you. And all you need to do is say thank you. That's how the gospel works. God says, look, you can't do enough good things to counteract all the bad things that you've done. It's impossible. The relationship is already irreconcilably severed. So I'm going to send Jesus, and Jesus is going to die the death that you deserve. And all I want you to do is say thank you, and now I will put you into relationship with me because I have fixed all the brokenness that you have brought to our relationship. And that is why for 2,000 years and until the Lord comes back, there's going to be a remnant of people who say, amen, thank you, Lord, I believe in Jesus. Not because we don't realize that we're wrong, but because we realize that God is so holy that there's a big problem. Our culture realizes it has issues, but doesn't believe in a perfect God. Just think, well, I'm human, I'm flawed, God loves me anyway. Now, do you ever meet somebody? Think about this. Do you ever have a friend who is like that? Who would do all these terrible things? And they're like, well, we're friends, so you don't really care. Are they your real friend? No. Are they a friend for long? No way because they don't even realize how much they're hurting you. Because they don't care about you. All they do is they care about themselves. And that's the problem with our culture. Our culture doesn't care about God. They care about themselves. And they pretend that God doesn't care about their life when God totally does, because everything we do that is wrong is offensive to a perfect and holy God. So if you're here and you don't believe in Jesus, you know that you're flawed. You need to say, God, if you're real, I need you to reveal yourself to me, because if... Fusco's right, and you are perfect and holy, then I know I need Jesus. That's really what it boils. It's not a human problem. It's a view of God. It's a divinity problem. It's how we see God. And I'm here to tell you that God, the God who creates and sustains everything, is absolutely perfect. The God who can put the earth at the perfect 
distance from the sun on the perfect orbit with the perfect right spin so that we stay on the ground with oxygen and all this thing who created your digestive system and all this great plethora of food that we get to eat to sustain us. All That God is totally perfect. And that God loves us enough to say, our relationship is broken and I want to fix it for you because you can't fix it on your own. God will either ask us for our own blood for our mistakes or he'll accept the substitutionary blood of Jesus as the Passover. And God was showing the children of Israel that thousands of years ago in Egypt. He's like, look, if you do not believe that the blood of this Passover lamb will cause the angel of death to pass over, then death will come to your house. But the choice is yours. I want to give you, I I will accept the substitute if you will believe that and do it. And every single year after the Passover, they did this every single year, over and over and over again. They had this Passover commemoration. And we see all the different things. Now, it gives way to the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now, you remember the story. God told the children of Israel, don't put any yeast in the bread. Because you're going to have to leave so fast. After the angel of death passes through, they're going to put, you don't have any time to let the bread rise. But it's also a perfect picture because leaven or yeast in the Bible is a picture of what? Sin. Why is it a picture of sin? Because if you look at the way yeast or leaven works on flour and water, it corrupts by puffing up. That's what it does. It causes it to, it literally the yeast eats the gluten in the flour and it causes it to rise. It, that's why I say it corrupts by puffing up. How many of you ever put yeast in something and the thing explodes out of a bowl? So fun. Do it at home. I used to work at a bakery. I used to love this stuff. I mean, we get in trouble when we do it. We'd have this sourdough starter. I'm not going to go off on that. I'll tell a story another time. It's super fun. Okay, you guys want to hear a story? Okay, good. So I worked at a bakery. It's amazing the things you do after you graduate college and you don't want to be like a real person. So you go get a job at a bakery. You know what I mean? That's that's what I did. And it was great. We had this old sourdough starter. I mean, it was like 150 years old, right? And you had to feed it every day. So you take out a certain amount of it and you put flour and water and you let it rise up and then you cut some out, you take flour. But you always needed to make sure after you took this 150-year-old sourdough starter and you added all this flour and water, you needed to put it in the walk-in closet. Because the cold weather kept it from rising too fast. But we would always, kind of for fun, because it'd make our boss a little crazy, we'd always leave it out. You know, and then all of a sudden you look over and it's like the lid's on and all of a sudden the lid's up, up, and it starts, it's like Mount Vesuvius over the sides. And so, why? Because the yeast, and now it's like 150 years old where it's doing it, you don't need the commercial yeast. It's eating the gluten in the flour and the thing is puffing up. And it would make a total mess. Or we'd take and we'd make baguettes or rounds or all these different things. And you'd stick it. You had to stick it in the walk-in closet because if you left it out, what happened? Those things exploded. They they were like deformed bread. And they were super cool because we'd take them home, but you couldn't sell them. So we'd get in trouble for that too, right? So I tell you all this to say they weren't allowed to put yeast in the bread because they weren't going to have enough time to let it properly rise. So he's like, look, I want you to make unleavened cakes. Now, why is this important? Because Jesus was without sin. Jesus was without sin. And so the Passover sacrificial lamb commemorating God's great deliverance from Egypt is also married to this Feast of Unleavened Bread. They're reminded for seven days, listen, no yeast. You had to leave quickly. Jesus, the bread of life without sin. 
Every single year they heard these stories over and over and over again. And when Jesus says this, like, I'm the bread of life. Without sin, all this stuff would ring. Now, I'm going to just finish chapter 20. We'll have to take 29 next week or whatever. Look what it says in verse 26 here. It says, also on the day of the first fruits, when you bring a new grain offering to the Lord at your feast of weeks, you shall have a holy convocation. Verse 26, you shall do no customary work. You shall present a burnt offering as a sweet aroma to the Lord, two young bulls, one ram and seven lambs in their first year with the grain offering of fine flour mixed with oil, three-tenths of an ephah for each bull, two-tenths for the one ram and one-tenth for each of the seven lambs, also one kid of the goats to make atonement for you. Be sure that they are without blemish. You shall present them with their drink offerings besides the regular burnt offerings with its grain offerings. Now, The Feast of Weeks is also known in our Bibles as the Feast of Pentecost. After seven, seven seven-week periods after Passover, we have what was known as the barley harvest. They called it Pentecost, right? So this is to commemorate the first spring harvest of barley. Now, They would have this big sacrificial system. Like, listen, we have this big harvest. Guess what? We give the first fruits to the Lord. We make a big deal about God because this harvest that we have, even though we planted the grain and we harvested it and we did everything, really it all happened because God gave us the seed and God gave us the sun and God gave us the water. And even though we worked really hard, we realized that everything that we have is from God. So it was called first fruits or weeks or Pentecost, which the word pente is literally means 50 because it's, Seven weeks, the next day is the 50th day, right? You have seven weeks of seven days is what? Seven times seven is 49. The next day is what? 50 Pentecost. Super cool. So that's what happens. You worship God on Pentecost. Now, but what you guys also know, and you can read about this, Exodus chapter 23, we find out about it. We find out about it all again in Leviticus chapter 23 as well. But in the New Testament, you guys know about the day of Pentecost from when? Acts chapter 2. The day of the first fruits. Jesus was the first fruits of the resurrection of the dead on the feet when Pentecost, don't ever miss when you read your Bible, the little words, when Pentecost had what? Fully come. That's what your Bible says. Not when Pentecost happened, when it fully came. See, the Holy Spirit inspiring Dr. Luke to pen the Acts of the Apostles. He said, This is the fulfillment of Pentecost. It was never really just about a barley harvest. It's about a harvest of souls. It's about a group of people who the Spirit of God gets poured out on. And on the day the law was given, 3,000 people were killed. And on the day the Spirit was given, 3,000 people were given brand new life. And Pentecost is not about a barley harvest, although it is. It's about a greater harvest, a harvest of souls. And if you're here today and you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, then guess what? You're part of the first fruits of God's kingdom. Jesus is real. God has provided the ultimate sacrifice to atone for our sins in His Son, Jesus. Pastor Daniel today reminded us how Jesus fulfilled every detail of the law and represented many of the feasts of the Old Testament 
and how he continues to do so even today. Hey everyone, this is Pastor Daniel. Have you ever asked yourself, what is this life really all about? How shall I live? See, these are life's most important questions. Jesus invites us to follow him on a journey of discovering the art of living, and he gives us the answers to these questions. I'm stoked to share with you my newly released book where you can learn how to live an abundant life by living upward, inward, and outward through loving God and loving yourself and loving others. I will unpack the keys to a life that overflows with blessing. So here's Josh with some more information. Thanks, Pastor Daniel. This is exciting news. Pastor Daniel's new book, Upward, Inward, and Outward, is not currently available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or anywhere else. Pastor Daniel would like to offer a special pre-released signed copy of his book, Upward, Inward, and Outward, to anyone who supports Jesus is Real Radio with a gift of $25 or more. Simply visit JesusIsRealRadio.com and click on Partner from the main menu. There you can give your gift. And again, as a thank you, we will send you a special pre-released signed copy of Pastor Daniel's upcoming book, Upward, Inward, and Outward. Join us again here on Jesus Is Real Radio when Pastor Daniel will continue reviewing the sacrifices and feasts the Israelites were required to make. He'll also point out the ways in which each of these elements can still apply to the Christian life today. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through this series entitled Preparation. It's next time on Jesus Is Real Radio.